Truth Espresso, Episode 50. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso, to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. And now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. This is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Hello and welcome to Truth Espresso. I am your host, Daniel Minnick, and we are starting a series, interrupting our series on economics to talk about abortion. And last episode, I had my wife on as a special guest. My wife is a certified nurse midwife. She got her postmaster's certificate in certified nurse midwifery from the University of Colorado. And my wife's name is Chelsea. And we are preparing to start a clinic to help women out. And abortion is one aspect of what our clinic is hoping to deal with to persuade women not to get abortions, but that's not the only thing that we're planning to do with our clinic. So in the last episode, we talked about abortion in general. We talked about the types of abortion procedures, and we talked about some of the politics of abortion. We covered some of the history of abortion through the American colonial times, the 1800s, and the the change in political philosophy that led to abortions first being outlawed because of the science and then basically brought back into legal favor because of philosophy. And so things changed from science to philosophy in defense of abortion. And so I have Chelsea as a special guest on Truth Espresso again, my lovely wife Chelsea, and we're going to talk more about abortion in this episode. And so if the last episode was kind of an overview, we want to get a little more specific and we want to get a little more personal with this episode. And so Chelsea, welcome once again to Truth Espresso. Hello, thank you for having me again. And so, Chelsea, to get a little more personal with abortion, we want to talk about, unlike the last episode, basically the politics of it, we want to talk about the personal reasons that people get abortions. I think you have some information about that, and what are the most common reasons that people seek abortions? Sure. So, probably I'll first address a little bit about some statistics as to how many abortions are occurring, and then we'll go into why women are seeking abortion. Abortion is the most common medical procedure in the United States. According to the Guttmacher Institute, in 2017, they reported over 860,000 abortions done for that year. That approximates to about one in four women having an abortion by the time they're 45 years old. And over 50% of these women write on their charts or acknowledge that they have a religious association. About 88% of abortions occur less than 12 weeks, so in that first trimester. However, these statistics are not extremely accurate. 
And part of the reason is there are a lot of states that do not require the providers to submit any data. They don't have to submit what type of procedures are being done if there are any complications. So these numbers could be even higher than what is being reported here. Only 28 states are actually required to report any complications, which is kind of scary because if you consider that abortion is promoted based on it's safe and legal, but the providers are not required to report the complications, then we're not getting a clear picture of, is this really safe? Another factor to consider, too, is that about 38% of the abortions are done for black women. And just looking at some of the history with Margaret Singer and some of your previous abortion topics with the history, you could see that Margaret Singer was promoting abortion based on eugenics and just racism in general. The CDC also reported that there's an increased percentage in women getting abortions having more than three abortions. So we're seeing an increased trend in women having repeat abortions. So not just one now, but they're having three or more abortions. There's a whole movement that you will see on social media of shout your abortion and women wearing t-shirts or holding signs and actually parading their abortions that they've had and some as many as 21 abortions. So some of the main reasons that women have abortions or that they seek this as an option, and this is reported again by the Guttmacher Institute, they report that they seek an abortion because of financial reasons. They feel that they are not in a position to financially go through a pregnancy or support their child. Also, a lot of women are either currently in high school or starting college. Most abortions occur between the ages of 20 and 24 years old. So these women are in the college age group and they feel that they cannot handle a pregnancy or a new child because they are still in college right now. So over three quarters of the reasons women seek abortion have to do with socioeconomic and um, where they are in their life and feeling like they don't have any other choice at that time. So, Chelsea, that really does give us some perspective. And as we both consider ourselves 100% pro-life, we believe that life begins at conception, and therefore abortion clearly is the murder of the unborn, and that the unborn is human. So we can't waver on that, and we, we understand that women, and especially sometimes even compelled by men, boyfriends, husbands, uncles, whatever, are being compelled to at least be a contributing factor in what would be biologically an act of murder. But there is something that from those statistics that you pointed out that even the most ardent pro-lifers really have to stop and think about why people get abortions, especially the position that a lot of women find themselves in. We just can't dismiss the difficulties. So like we can remain completely 100% pro-life, but still empathize with the plight of a lot of people. I mean, in the statistics, I mean, you mentioned that there are trends toward turning abortion into some kind of thing to shout. And, you know, I did see uh, um, someone on Facebook 
that picture of a woman shouting her 21 abortions, and that seems to be something like, over time, the conscience gets kind of seared with a hot iron, but I would imagine that that woman earlier on with the very first one at least struggled somewhat. And as you mentioned, socioeconomic factors, we really have to think about the situation with, you know, a high school student, as you mentioned, getting pregnant and and just how much fear and uncertainty someone in that position would have where, say, all of her friends that may not be in that situation are just happily getting ready to graduate and go to college. But then what is a high schooler going to do as a mom like it seems like she might just think you know my life is over now I, I can't really get a good career I have to just stop everything about my life put everything not only on hold but possibly you know have no potential for career advancement at all just try to be a mother and I don't even know how I could take care of myself never mind a baby um, and then even someone who's trying to start college or is in college finds herself pregnant and then she realizes that having a baby is going to make things difficult to graduate. She might have to drop out of college and she just borrowed that money and has to pay some of it back but with no degree to her name and then have to pay some student loans with nothing to back it up. No job, no career and now more expenses and so you agree that this really is a difficult situation and I think that pro-lifers really need to put themselves in the shoes of people who are seeking abortions for these reasons and so do you think that there are tactics that pro-lifers can use when talking with especially young ladies in these uh, really difficult situations like can we really make the case for life while still showing compassion and are are there ways to help them? Yeah, I know when we were talking about this earlier, you mentioned the verse in Jude about having compassion on others. And I just think that is so important. Do you want to say that verse again? Oh, yeah. I'll let you look it up. Um, So I'll give a couple examples of a teenager and a college-age student that I had the opportunity to talk to. Um, I volunteered and did work at different pregnancy centers in Colorado and Florida. And uh, one example I was thinking of was a teenager who came in and she was actually excited to be pregnant. She thought, wow, I get to be a mom and I have this baby and She was excited, but she was feeling a lot of pressure from her mom. Her mom did not want her to continue with the pregnancy because she said, you're too young, you still have your full life ahead of you, so the best thing that you can do for yourself and for the baby is to get an abortion. Wow, that is a lot of pressure for this young teenage girl to go through and to have put on her not only is she pregnant, having pregnancy hormones and young, dealing with high school is tough in and of itself. And then she has her mom who probably has influence on her as well, telling her you should have an abortion. This is the best thing you can do. So we had a very long conversation with her and thankfully we were able to guide her through the steps and hook her up with a family where she was able to adopt her baby out. 
another example of a college-age student where the college-age student felt pressure like you were talking about with trying to finish her degree. Now she can't do her requirements because she's facing this pregnancy and she felt like the best thing for her so she could finish and be in a place to have a baby in the future would be to have an abortion at that time. And with this lady, I just remember there was almost a hardness about it. She was so determined to go through with that abortion. And when I did the ultrasound on her and she saw the 16-week baby on the ultrasound screen, she just started crying. She's like, wow, that is a human being. That's my baby. And it was just so powerful to see what started out as a hardened heart she was determined that she needed to have that abortion and then just seeing that live active baby on there and then her heart softening and saying wow that's my baby and um yeah it's emotional um to see how god can work in these different girls lives i think age doesn't really have a factor young old they all for some reason or another are feeling this extreme pressure whether it's inside or outside. And our goal in the pro-life arena is to help them alleviate that pressure and help them to see that there are ways to take different paths. You can do online schoolwork. You can pursue adoption. There are so many different avenues they can take. And if we can just help them see that they have time to make this decision and also that there are so many resources out there for them to help them get through this, I think that really gives them strength and also empowers them as a woman. And different tactics like you were talking about too that we can look at as pro-life ministries. There are appropriate times for different discussions. So one group that we have been involved with a few times is Justice for All. And their approach is to go to college campuses, go to high schools, um, even churches. And their key approach is to educate people about how do we have the discussion of abortion? How do we have these conversations about should it be legal? What is the unborn? Are there any circumstances that abortion should be allowed? And just engaging in these conversations, making these young people think about all the different consequences, all the different parts of the abortion topic, and really engaging them. I feel like it's kind of the beginning point. If we can have these discussions before they're at the point of crisis, then that can be really effective. And then kind of the next stage in that is going through the crisis pregnancy centers. In crisis pregnancy centers, you kind of get a different scheme of people. You have people, if they're in the crisis right now, they need immediate help or they've already gone through an abortion and they um, need resources and support and just the approach of there is forgiveness, there is hope, there is healing and addressing that side of it. So Crisis Pregnancy Center is kind of a little more encompassing where you can meet girls and men especially post-abortion, it can really affect men too. And so I just see the Crisis Pregnancy Center as you wear a bunch of different hats. There's a lot of different approaches that you take in that setting. 
and then you have the sidewalk counseling outside of abortion clinics. It's kind of a last-minute effort to try and discuss that you do not, with these women, with these men, you do not have to have the abortion. You do not have to make this decision right now. A lot of people feel pressured that I have to make the decision right now. I have to do this right now. And actually, you don't. You have some time to think about it. This is a hard decision. You don't want to just go and have an abortion without thinking this through. And that's kind of what the sidewalk counseling part of it is, kind of coming beside the women, coming beside the men and encouraging them that they have time. You do not need to do this right now and pleading with them that that is a human being inside of them. And what they are about to do is going to not only harm the baby, but harm themselves. So kind of that approach is um, potentially a little more aggressive because you have one, maybe two minutes to talk to these women as they're being ushered in to the abortion clinic. And a lot of abortion clinics have so many barriers in place. They put up huge sheets to where you can't see the women. The women can't see you. So some people have to stand on ladders so they can even have that conversation with these men and women. A lot of the escorts will come up to the women's car in the parking lot and pull out an umbrella and kind of shade the person walking into the clinic so she can't hear or see the pro-lifers outside um, having these discussions and the escort will also be talking to the girl to try and block out anything that we're saying so it's kind of a intense battle at that last minute you see this woman going in a lot of times in tears because she's scared she doesn't know what's going on She has all these people and it's chaos and we're trying to, at the last minute, be like, please take time and think this through. We can help you. So it's almost like a desperate situation at that point. So that's another side of it. And then the other part of it, too, that we're seeing a new progression is with um, what our clinic is going to be is not just looking at the crisis pregnancy part of it, but looking at the woman as a whole. So this is like, we call our clinic that it's life-affirming. It's pro-woman. So it doesn't matter where the woman is at in her life. If we can start having discussions about her fertility, about her body, about her worth, and who God made her to be, then if she finds herself in a pregnancy that was unexpected, that she already has these resources available to her and she doesn't feel like she's all alone. So this is a huge movement that is starting and we are really excited about. Yeah, Thank you for all that, sweetheart. And I did find the verse in Jude. I was afraid as I was looking for it that I had misspoke that it was Jude, but I guess it is Jude. It's Jude verses 22 and 23, and it says, And of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. And so it seems like Jude is making a distinction between how we approach different people. There's one issue, there's one truth. And in this area, we're talking about the truth of pro-life, but there are different approaches to sharing that same truth and using that same truth with different people who have 
different needs and are in different situations. And so some people might be able to be persuaded out of a difficult situation by logic. Some people might just need the Holy Spirit, like a parakletos, one called alongside to talk them through things. And as you mentioned, the different tactics, like there's different arenas for trying to save lives from abortion. You mentioned crisis pregnancy centers and how that there's actually more time when someone is basically with a crisis pregnancy center, often the person who comes in would be considered a client. And so they're coming to you for help and asking for a service. And they're kind of might be in a straight betwixt too, as it were, that they're fearful, they don't know what to do, they might be having some pressure to get an abortion, but they have some second thoughts about it, and really they need to be talked one way or the other, and they're they're not sure that they want to get an abortion because they know that there's the pain, the guilt of getting it, but they need help. And so with the crisis pregnancy centers, you mentioned the approach to that is to let them know that they do have time to think about things and you can use that time to help them learn some things about themselves, learn some things about the baby, learn some things about what their options are for caring for their baby and how they can get help and Crisis pregnancy centers will offer free diapers, free baby clothes, or even, I believe, some people will offer to help um, take care of the baby for some time to let, you know, the mom get settled. There's different ways of uh, financial aid. And so, like, with that tactic, with the crisis pregnancy center, there's, there's the issue of you have time, let's help you figure out what you could do with the time. And then there's the other issue that's, it sounds like Jude, like others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. And as you mentioned that there's only, you know, there there's only seconds to a few minutes to try to talk someone who's already in the process of go, marching into a clinic to get an abortion. And so basically, you know, the, someone in the crisis pregnancy center is going to be able to talk through more smoothly, more just gently, compassionately, and have time to, you know, show some information. But uh, with sidewalk counseling near an abortion clinic, you know, you have to make a pretty strong case pretty quickly. And of course, you still need to be compassionate. You can't yell at people and say, you know, don't be a murderer. How dare you even think about it? You know, like you have to make a quick case, like something like there's hope, there's time, please rethink. I can help you. And so maybe you might get someone to just think and turn around and then you get the the counseling conversation there. And then, as you mentioned, Justice for All, like we both went to an event a few years ago that they hosted and and they they train people in how to have conversations. So with Justice for All's strategy, we're not dealing with necessarily someone who's currently pregnant or someone who's currently seeking an abortion. With Justice for All, they go to colleges or high schools and set up displays and basically 
actually they're inviting people to come and have a conversation. And I like how I heard a, a, someone from Justice for All explain the tactic where they'll just have a, a poll that someone could vote. They'll have a question and you vote yes or no. And, and what was interesting, like the question is, should abortions be legal? And if I remember correctly, they would ask, how do you identify yourself? Like, do you call yourself pro-life or pro-choice? And then after answering a series of yes or no questions, they would end up with someone who called him or herself pro-life saying, well, you know, I'm against abortion, but, you know, I believe it should be legal in cases of rape or incest, or maybe it should not be legal in the last trimester or the second or third trimester, but, you know, there might be situations in the first trimester where it should be available, and then you might have someone who said he or she was pro-choice, but then with some of the questions answered say well absolutely i don't believe that an abortion should be done in the third trimester because that would just be wrong and would be inflicting pain and killing what seems to be a a nearly developed human being. And so they found that there can be an intersection between people who self-identify as pro-life or pro-choice that both of them might have their perspective that isn't like entirely consistent and both of them believe that there are problems with abortion, that it's not desirable. And so it's just kind of like the, the different perspective that they take and then so starting a conversation in that way you know making a friendly poll or asking some friendly questions and starting conversations can actually get the wheel spinning and help people think and so justice for all has reported some people being converted to the pro-life cause just by having a conversation seeing some pictures in a pamphlet and so not everything about pro-life as the pro-abortion advocates, the political activists might make pro-life out to be nothing but amendments on ballots and trying to overturn Roe versus Wade, which we believe should be overturned, but it's not just shouting matches and saber-rattling and getting angry and belittling people and the pro-life cause is best usually as an individual thing to help people see the truth and as the apostle paul said speaking the truth in love and i i would propose especially for pro-lifers who think everything should be about protests and shock value that there's more to pro-life than just that there's the caring loving compassionate conversation and and it really is an educational issue yeah so i really like how you talked about the examples from justice for all and just having those conversations and really finding some type of common ground with these people that you can say oh yeah we both agree that abortion is wrong when the baby can feel pain okay so what about at this point And just really engaging in intellectual conversation with these people, you can really see that they respond well and that they want to learn more and they're seeking truth. And so some of you who might be listening might be wondering, okay, I'm pro-life, but what do I do? How can I get involved? 
there are so many great resources out there and we'll post some of those on the script notes for you um so you will be able to look at some of these resources for yourself also you can join any uh, training sessions from justice for all they love doing training sessions in person when we can but for right now i know that they are offering some online which would be great Um, You can help your local pregnancy center donating items. They need diapers and formula, bottles, anything like that. I think a huge thing that is helpful, especially in the Christian community, is praying for these people that are on the front lines and communicating with these women and just praying for women that are in crisis, praying that they will have softened hearts. And there's a huge spiritual battle when it comes to protecting the lives of these innocent babies. And so prayer is a huge thing. And, of course, uh, financial assistance. If you're able to give financially to a pregnancy center or a pro-life group that is out there to educate. And But I do really encourage you to read about the pro-life groups that you want to support and um, make sure that you feel like you're on the same page with them. There are so many different venues out there, so many different opinions on how the subject of abortion should be approached. So it's good to just kind of be educated for yourself too. Well, thank you, uh, sweetheart. Those are some really good thoughts and some good advice for how can the lay person who's doesn't know how to be involved in pro-life ministries, how can they help? Well, one thing is to learn about how to make the case. You know, I can recommend Scott Klusendorf. He's written some books about how to make the pro-life case persuasively. He talks about the sled argument, which we can get into some of the arguments for making the pro-life case persuasively and compassionately, too. And we also definitely recommend uh, Justice for All. They are a group that, as we mentioned, they're not protesting and yelling. They're not out to make enemies. They show you how to have conversations. They'll even let you join them and train you to um, help carry on conversations with displays on college campuses and high schools. And Chelsea and I got to attend an online seminar that they had a, a few months ago, and we got to ask some questions there and get some good answers. Also, uh, some other good books include books by Randy Alcorn. One good book that's like a reference manual is Pro-Life Answers to Pro-Choice Arguments. And another smaller book by Randy Alcorn is Why Pro-Life? Caring for the Unborn and Their Mothers. Those are some good resources to check out. And I hope you stay tuned for the next episode of True Espresso. If you like this episode, and I really like the idea that we present the case for being pro-life compassionately and really recommend understanding and empathizing with the plight that a lot of especially young ladies go through with seeking abortions and that we need to understand that. And so that when we make the case, 
for life, we do so with the love of Christ, with the leading of the Holy Spirit, and with a sound mind. And so, um, so just kind of going off of empathizing with the women again, I was just remembering that even it doesn't matter what background you come from. That statistic I gave that over 50% of women claim to have a religious affiliation. So they have some sort of religious background information that they are acknowledging when they fill out paperwork. So a lot of these women potentially know that abortion may not be the right answer for them. But I was just remembering when we were pregnant with our son Brody and we are 100% pro-life. We are on the frontline battles of protecting the unborn children. But when we were pregnant with our second son, Brody, and the doctors thought that he had some sort of syndrome, like Down syndrome or another trisomy syndrome, and they were really pressuring us to have an abortion, I was amazed at how much we felt that pressure. So despite our pro-life stance, they really are good at putting that pressure on you and saying that this would be the best thing for you and for your baby. And just really going through that, it gives us a whole new level of understanding for these women and what they are facing and that um, we can really empathize with them and come beside them and help them through this and know that they're not alone. Amen there, sweetheart, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth Espresso, and I hope that you will look forward to and listen to the next episode of Truth Espresso as we talk about arguments for making the case for pro-life compassionately and with the love of Christ. Stay tuned, and God bless. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning, and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso. 